Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. In fact, we're going to be going to one of the last chapters in the Bible, Revelation and chapter number 21. Revelation and chapter 21. We've been doing a series for about 40 different messages dealing with the millennial kingdom. What is the millennial kingdom? The millennial kingdom is the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth when he returns. Remember that there are more passages dedicated to the millennial kingdom than any other subject of the Bible except for the tabernacle and temple. And yet with so much being said about the millennial kingdom... It's a subject that most Christians know very little about. So we figured that we would take time to study through 40 messages. We had started off by defining terms and explaining what we mean and explaining prophecy and how to get the proper interpretation so we're not getting whatever we think out of it, but we're trying to find out what did God mean by those passages. Then we took time to explain what led up to the millennial kingdom, the events leading to it. Then we explained some more of the nuts and bolts and how did it work? Who's involved? What's the government like? What's the conditions like? What are the people like? We explained all of that. Then we closed down and talked about how the millennial kingdom ends. And now our final two messages tonight and this morning are going to be dealing with a subject that we often call heaven, properly called eternity future. And we're going to see what we have to look forward to in this future event that most people honestly skip the millennial kingdom and they're looking forward to this end event of eternity future. Notice you, if you don't mind, the word of God in the book of Revelation chapter 21. The book of Revelation chapter number 21, and notice with me starting at verse number one. Revelation 21 and verse one. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Verse number two. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God." And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning 
and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part of the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Revelation 21? The book of Revelation chapter 21, and notice with me verse number 3. Revelation 21 and verse 3, notice the phrase, He will dwell with them. He will dwell with them. And with this, we're going to see this concept that we commonly call eternity future. He will dwell with them. Eternity future. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy, that you would give us understanding, Lord, that we could open this up and with your Spirit's help to make it clear and help people to understand it. Lord, I'm asking that you would just help us, Lord, to see you high, holy, and lifted up and that you can give us this encouragement. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, because of our finite minds, it is very hard to imagine eternity. Have you ever taken time when you had some free time just to let your mind go blank and try to think what it would be like with no time? What eternity would be like where there's no ending, no stopping? Maybe I'm the only one, but many times I know others who have fried their brains just trying to wrap their minds over a concept that truly we can't wrap our minds about. Eternity is such a foreign concept. But beyond just thinking about the time limits that time will be no more, no more seconds, no more hours, no more nine o'clock, no more wake-ups, time will be no more. It's, it's hard to imagine no time. But then to come to the idea of what heaven would be like itself. Do you know the Bible says very little about heaven itself. Now we talk about heaven a lot because that's where we want to go there. But do you know that very little is talked about heaven? We had explained earlier in the series of the Millennial Kingdom that oftentimes people will mix the Millennial Kingdom and, and heaven together and mix some of those facts. But those are two separate events. And heaven will work quite differently than the millennial kingdom. In fact, we talked about the millennial kingdom quite a bit. And when we talked about the millennial kingdom, we said that the millennial kingdom is going to be quite different than what we live in now. So we live in an awful broken world. In the millennial kingdom, God is going to come back to this world and he's going to reestablish Garden of Eden conditions. And things are going to work differently. And that's enough to fry our minds and to break it. But when we jump up to eternity future, it goes so far beyond our understanding that God doesn't even try. Because we're not going to be able to understand. Things are all going to work differently. In fact, notice if you don't mind how God describes this new heaven, this new earth, this idea of eternity future. Notice with me verse 1 really quick. 
And I saw a new heaven. And I saw a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem. Notice God describes a new heaven, a new earth, and a new city. The important quality of all three of these news, of course, what makes it really important is that God will be there. But the emphasis here is that heaven is going to be new. It's going to work differently. Jerusalem, this new city of God, will work differently. And the earth is going to be new and it will work differently. It will be beyond our comprehension. It will be beyond our understanding. It will be something different that God just tries to tell us that it exists and gives us a little bit of a glimpse in the next two chapters about what eternity future will be like. But it is quite different. It will be called new. If you don't mind, as we examine this, we know the most important thing is that God will be there with us. Notice there's a couple things in this chapter here. First of all, the great God who was there. The great God who was there. What makes heaven worth going there? Well, that's a good question. Notice with me again in verse 1, and let's just kind of walk through this passage, and let's see what this place is going to be like. Notice with me in verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and shall be their God. Notice with me in verse 4. This is what we often think about of heaven. That God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Let's pause. What's heaven going to be like? Well, it's going to be a place where no more tears. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. Forgive the repeat, but... Can you imagine being in a place where there's no more tears? That's a wonderful place. As I mentioned before, if you could forgive the repeat, that, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of reason to cry down here. Sometimes there's not a reason why you could cry. There was a time my wife was crying and I said, honey, what's the matter? What's going on? She goes, I'm crying because I'm a woman. No problem. I'm going to another room. Bye. You know, this idea, there's a lot of tears. We cry because we're sad. We cry because we're happy. We cry for no reason so whatsoever. But can you imagine being in a place where there's no more tears? No more reason to cry. What else? We often think about verse 4 as, again, the go-to of what heaven is like. That God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. That's why we look forward to heaven is that there's no more death. We don't have to worry about a loved one passing on before. We won't have to have that weight upon us of watching someone wither away and pass. We'll no longer have to worry about death. That's a wonderful place to be. We don't have to worry about death. So no more tears, no more death, neither sorrow. We have a lot of sorrows today. 
There's a lot of things that break our heart. There are a lot of things that make us sad. One of the things we're looking for to heaven is that no more sorrow. We don't have to worry about having a broken heart no more. We don't have to worry about being upset. That sounds like a wonderful place already. God shall wipe away all their tears from their eyes. There should be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. We talked about the crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For all some of us who have gotten older, we're looking forward to that place. No more pain. We don't have to hurt no more. You don't have to snap, crackle, and pop just to stand up out of bed anymore. You don't have to worry about the restless nights because now that your body's settled, you feel all the aches and the pains throughout your... We don't have to worry about pain anymore. I mean, just going through that description there, that's why people say, I want to go there. I want to go to a place where I'm not going to hurt no more. I'm going to go to a place where I'm going to sorrow no more. I want to go to a place where I don't have to fear death anymore. I want to go to a place where there's no more tears. That's a wonderful place to go. But do you know, that's not the main reason that heaven's going to be worth going there. Those are going to be some of the benefits, but that's not the main reason. Notice as it goes on in verse number five, or into verse four, it says, for the former things are passed away, verse five, and he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these things are true and faithful. I'm so thankful that this is put down. He says, this isn't someone's dream. Someone just didn't have pepperoni pizza and they couldn't sleep and then they had this vision here. And no, God says, no, this is a true thing. This isn't someone's dream. This isn't a mirage. This isn't something that happened because of a delusion. This is true. This is going to happen. This is the wonderful place. Write it down. This is something I want people to know that it's a place of no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. It, wonderful. But notice as it goes on in verse six, and he said to me, it is done. I am alpha and omega. Now this word alpha and omega carries the idea or it's from the Greek alphabet. Alpha is the first letter of the <laughs> Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. In our English, we would say from A to Z. God is, starts the first, he is the last, the beginning and the end. I will give to him that is a thirst, the fountain of water freely. Now, what God is doing is he's bringing this, he says, as great as heaven is, what, worth, what makes heaven worth going there? He says, because I'm there. Notice again in verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. God is what makes heaven worth going there. God is is what makes everything good in eternity. Now, the no more tears, the no more sorrow, the no more death, the no more pain, those are side benefits. But what makes heaven worth going there is that God is there. 
that we get to spend time with God. The God who created us in the first place. That we get to be with him. He gets to be our God. He's accepted us. He wants us to dwell, be with us so much that God is no longer far away. You know, today on this earth, it seems like sometimes God is just so distant. There are times that God seems so a million miles away. Sometimes it feels like God's just around the corner. And when we look, he's gone. But up in heaven, God will be there. And we're going to interact with him. And we get to be with him. And that's what makes heaven worth being there. Is that God will be there. God's trying to put the attention on this fact. That God will be with us. Now he does describe some more things about heaven. We'll go into more detail tonight. But let's quickly just see that there's a great city prepared. So not only is there a great God who's there. But we see a great city prepared. In verse number 9 all the way up to verse number 26. It takes time to describe this great city of Jerusalem. Now we'll see more about it tonight. As we go into detail about this city. But this city is named for its inhabitants, the church. Notice verse number nine. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had seven vials, which had full of the seven last plagues, and talked to me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, this is a relationship that God has described all the way back in Ephesians chapter five. That the way that God described the relationship with Christians today is the bride, which would be the Christians, and God, Christ and the church, the bride of Christ. Now, this is made, the city is named for his bride, but everybody else is going to be able to dwell within it. It just happens to be named for the bride. Notice in verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to the great high mountain and showed me the great city, holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Pause here. Many people believe that Jerusalem is actually going to float above the land. It's not going to touch it. It's just going to float above the land. So you have to fly to get up there. Now notice, if you don't mind, it gives more descriptions. Verse number 11, it starts talking about how pretty it is. Having the glory of God in her light was likened to a stone, most precious, even like jasper stone, clear as crystal. It had a wall great and high and 12 gates and at the 12 gates, 12 angels and the names written thereof, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So even though the city is named for the church, notice that it also goes back to its roots, which is the Hebrew people. Verse number 13, and on the east uh, three gates and on the north three gates and on the south three gates and the west three gates. For those of you who are math whizzes, you understand that's 12 from each of the 12 tribes. Verse number 14, it says, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he talked with me had a, and he that talked with me had a golden reed, this is measuring tape, to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and its length was as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. You say, what is that? We'll go more into the depths of it later. But may I just say how wide and big the city is? So he goes and takes this tape measure, which has to be a massive tape measure. You say, why do you say that? Because the base of it is 1,500 miles long. So from the base of the city, it's 1,500 miles long. And then the breadth of the city, 
1,500 miles long. And the height of the city, 1,500 miles long. We'll talk more about the details of the stuff. But can you imagine a city that is 1,500 miles long? That's a big measurement, isn't it? <laughs> you ever think about how big 1,000 miles is? I should have looked it up how far away from Green Bay 1,500 miles are. Just to give you a match, those truck drivers in here might be able to better tell me. But you understand, that's a big city. One side... 1,500 miles long. The other side, 1,500 miles long. The top side, 1,500 miles long. In fact, when we talk about tonight, I'll give you a preview. Each person has their own room. That's what a mansion is there. It's not our southern mansion, but it is an additional added on room. Well, you say, well, I didn't get one at a big additional room. I just don't want someone to build a house. Well, wait, wait, wait a second. You understand that each person will have an acre of space in their room. What can you do with an acre of space? <laughs> All right, so that's a big room. Bigger than most of your rooms. Yeah. Yeah. An acre of space for each person. Could you imagine that? Acre of space each way. This is a big place. Wonderful. Well, again, we'll talk more about it tonight. Come back tonight and see it. Now, one of the things about this city is that it will, not have, it will not have a temple because the temple is God. Remember, the temple is a picture of God dwelling with them, but they don't need a picture when they actually have God there, that God will be there. Again, come back tonight and find the dimensions more as we talk about this city and how it is built. But there's a great city prepared and it gives the measurements and talks about it and talks more about how it looks. We'll go into the details tonight. Verse 22 is where I was gunning for. And I saw no temple therein. Why? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple thereof. And the city had no need of sun, neither of the moon, to shine in. Why? For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb did, is the light thereof. You understand what makes heaven worth going there? It is not the no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. It is not the beautiful city that we get to dwell in that is expanded out and that we get an old acre of space for each of us just for our own room. What makes it worth going there is that God is there, that God dwells there. Which brings me to one last thing, the great way to eternity. The great way to eternity. We spoke about the great God being there. And we talked about the great city that's prepared. But how do we get to this great place? What is this great way for us to get to eternity? Does anyone get to go? How, how does this work? That is a great question. Well, because of heaven, and we were talking about this, heaven is a perfect place. The problem is, dear friend, is that we're not perfect people. That's the problem. The qualification to get into heaven is you must be perfect. But none of us are perfect. In fact, to illustrate, notice with me verse 8. Verse 8 is, talks about all the people who cannot go to heaven. This is an important list. Who is not allowed in heaven? Notice this. 
but the fearful. Well, that's a big thing. All of us have fear from time to time. In fact, that's the number one emotion that's mentioned in all the Bible is fear. Why? Because we're fearful people. There's a lot of things to be afraid about and a lot of things we invent to be afraid of. We're fearful people. But the fearful and the unbelieving, there are many times that we haven't believed in God, that we didn't believe he could keep his word. We didn't believe that he would keep his word. We're unbelieving. And the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters. Now notice this. And all liars. Notice he uses the word all here. What does the word all mean? All. All, all liars. Well, let's check ourselves. How many lies does it take for someone to be a liar? One. One. Now let's just check. How many of you have ever told a lie? We've all told a lie. We're part of this crowd. All liars are not allowed in here. In fact, notice it. We'll just read the whole thing together. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars. Notice that word and that you see in here. The word and is called a polysodidin. It's a part of speech. What it does when in a list, and it uses the word and, it's made to slow down the reader to place emphasis on each one. But the fearful, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The word, the idea of second death is that we are separated from God. The Bible says, <coughs> for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that in order to go to heaven, we must be perfect. Because heaven is perfect, but we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in that same passage in Romans 3 where I quoted from, it says there is none righteous, no, not one. None of us are perfect. We fit in the all liars category. You said, preacher, this isn't encouraging. The heaven part, that was great. We could have just stayed there. But now you're not, you're, you're discouraging us. You're saying we don't deserve to go there. That's what the Bible says. All liars. None of us are perfect. We've all lied. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in the book of Romans 6.23, he says, for the wages of death, of wages of sin is death. Now, what's a wage? A wage is something we earn. For example, because we work, we earn money. That's called a wage or a payment. The Bible says for the wages of sin. What's a sin? Sin is what verse 8 said, all liars. That's part of it. That's a sin. Because of our sin, we owe God a wage. For the wages of sin is death. The word death literally carries the idea of separation. For example, if we had a funeral here, we would have a casket here, and we would say the person inside of that casket is dead. Why? Because that body is there, but what makes them them is separated out. 
There's a separation that had occurred. They are dead. The Bible says because heaven is perfect and we are not perfect, the wage that we owe God because of our sin, which would include lying, is death. We deserve to be separated from God. The Bible here talks about the second death, and we saw earlier at the end of Revelation 20, is being cast into the lake of fire, separated from God forever and ever. The Bible says all liars deserve to be separated from God because of our sin. Now that makes sense. Because if we were to allow someone that's not perfect and place them in a perfect place, it would ruin that perfect place. You said, are you sure? We'll go back to the Garden of Eden. How many sins did it take to ruin that perfect place? One. God has to keep heaven perfect. So we can't allow anyone who's not perfect to go to that perfect place. You said, preacher, this is not turning very encouraging. Well, there's some more bad news. Notice with me in Revelation 21 and notice with me verse 27. Revelation 21 and verse 27. And there shall in no wise enter in anything that defileth it, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Twice God is saying, if you've ever told a lie, you cannot come into that perfect place called heaven. You cannot if you've ever told a lie. If you make it of a lie, but notice in verse 27, it gives us the word but. You know, the English language is an amazing thing to study. And when you put it together with the Bible, it opens up more. We talked about a polysilodin. What is that? It's that word and that breaks up a list that makes us pay attention to it. Well, the word but is a conjunction that inside of the English language or inside of language that connects a school of thought but turns it to the opposite. Here, it says... No one can go to heaven if we've ever sinned. If you've ever told a lie, you can't go to heaven. You say, that's not good news, preacher. But then God said, but, but, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, God has now made a way for everyone to go to heaven. You have to be written in the Lamb's book of life. What does that entail, preacher? Well, we understand that first of all, that we're all sinners, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have told a lie. And because of that, every single one of us owe God a wage or a price for the wages of sin is death. Because we're told a lie, we deserve to be separated from heaven. We don't deserve to go to that wonderful place, a perfect place, a place where God is there. We realize that we're sinners and because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from God. But here's the good news God didn't want to see a single person go to that awful place called hell. So you know what God did is that God robed himself in flesh and came down on this earth as the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the same life that you and I lived, went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then Jesus died on the cross to pay that price, to pay that wage that you and I owed God. And what's more is he did it for free. I started that verse in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. You know what the next word is? But. The opposite of. He said the wages of sin is death, but, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
You know what Jesus did? He died on the cross for us. He was buried on a borrowed tomb. He rose again the third day. When he rose again, it proved two things. First of all, it proved that Jesus was God. It also proved that God was satisfied with that payment. For the wages of sin is death. Jesus rose again to say that debt is paid for. It's taken care of. Now all we have to do is receive that gift. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is a gift by the way? If I was to hand you a gift, what must you do to make that yours? Just receive it. You didn't have to pay me money for it. You didn't have to mow my lawn. You didn't even have to be nice to me. All you do was receive it. The same thing's true about going to heaven. Listen, to go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. <gasps> to go to heaven, you don't have to pay money to the church. <gasps> to go to heaven, you don't have to help little ladies cross the street. Now, all those things are good things and things you ought to do. But none of those things will get you to heaven. Why? Because you can't earn your way out. You are guilty. There's nothing you can do about it. Someone had to pay that price for you. And that's what Jesus Christ did at the cross of Calvary. Is that Jesus paid that price for you to give you eternal life. As we look at verse 27 again, notice this. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. What is the Lamb's book of life? The Lamb's book of life is Jesus' personal diary. That every single person that accepted Jesus to forgive them of their sins, he takes their name and he writes them down in this book. And the Bible says in other places that no man can get blotted from that book. You can't be erased from it. That once you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're going to heaven. And you're in his book. And you can never be taken out. By the way, this is what makes John 3.16 the most famous Bible verse in all the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever, anyone, everyone, me, that whosoever, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because I'm a liar, I don't deserve to go to heaven. I failed God. I deserve to be separated from him. I don't deserve to go to that wonderful place. But God wanted me there. So in order to get me there, my price had to be paid for. And that's what Jesus Christ did. And he paid that price. He rose again. And God is satisfied. All I have to do is agree to those terms that he made. Jesus said, here, I paid your price. Just take this. And if I take that, if I receive it for myself, that God promised, and God can't lie, he promised me that I'd go to heaven because I'd be in the Lamb's book of life. I have this eternal life that I received. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God wants people to go to heaven so badly he's given it away. All you have to do is accept it for yourself. Now that makes it easy. And that when we accept Christ to be our personal savior, when you come to the place where you accept that gift for yourself, God promised and he can't lie that you get to have eternal life and eternal life is being with him forever. 
That's wonderful. How do I receive that gift? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's as easy as just asking God for that gift. That's as easy as it is. There's no magic words. There's no secret password. There's no uh, secret handshake. The best you know how, you just accept that gift for yourself. That's as easy as it is. And when you accept that gift for yourself, you receive that gift, you accept that payment that Jesus made for you, that moment, that moment, you are written in the Lamb's book of life. And now you get to go to heaven because he paid that price for you. We get to enjoy that perfect place. That brings me down to one burning question. Dear friend, are you 100% sure? Not 95%, not 75%, not 50%. Are you 100% sure from the Bible if something was to happen to you? Are you sure you'd be going to heaven? You know God wants you to go to heaven. Dear friend, if you've never accepted the gift of God for yourself, maybe you have questions. It'd be my great privilege to take the Bible and to show you from God's holy word how you can know without a doubt that your sins are taken care of. It is a wonderful thing to know that you are saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty we owe God. Saved from that separation we deserved. That I could be delivered from that punishment that I deserve because I am a liar. Because we've all told a lie. I'm so thankful that God made it clear and specific so we don't have to guess or wonder, is it me? No, as long as you told a lie, it's you. We're all guilty. But God made a way because he loved you. And the greatest thing is for you to accept it for yourself. Now, dear friend, there's many people in here have already accepted that gift. You don't have to do it over and over and over. It's a one-time thing. Once you have that gift, you're written in the Lamb's book of life and you can never be erased from it. I'm thankful for it. Now, if you know for sure you're going to heaven, you should probably live like it. But if you don't know Christ as your savior, it'd be my privilege to have someone take a Bible and let you have that nailed down, to have that for sure, to have it know that I know that I know that I have eternal life, to know that I get to go to that wonderful place. Not because I think so, not because I hope so, not because I've tried hard, but because God gave me a promise and I can trust his word. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.